What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's happening, man? Man, it's, uh, it's good to be doing this. We are reporting live from somewhere. Oh, man. Oh, man. It is a great week, great month for hip hop. Like all of a sudden, it's been an embarrassment of riches. We had new KRS-One video today. We had new news about Kendrick Lamar's upcoming potentially double album, which we'll dive into. But the story of the moment is Black Star. After more than 20 years now, um, we finally have uh, the follow up to uh, Mostef and Talib Kweli or Black Star. So, man, the last time they dropped an album was 20, almost 24 years ago. Uh, man, I don't know about you. I was a whole different person then, you know. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta think for you, that was like formative years for you, right? That was like, uh, like mid to to late teenage years. Uh, you aged me a little bit much there. I was, <laughs> it was mid. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was. I was, I think I was fourteen, but okay. I distinctly remember like that album was hard to find. I was, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I remember um, one of the first people that ever let me get on the turntables was an older guy in my high school, DJ Technic. And he also was the guy who always had the music. He had a CD, CD burner back in the day, would make the compilations and sell them for like five, $10 in the hallway. And he had the album and he didn't like it as much. I mean, maybe he burned it and that was all he needed, but I remember paying him 10 or $15. And I remember like that day, the rest of the day sitting in class and just looking at it, looking at the artwork and it, you know, before I ever got home to listen to it. And I knew I was holding on to something special. And uh, obviously, you know, that speaks to the point. We are living in different times. We were receiving the album differently. But yeah, man, I was a black star head from pretty much rip. What about you? Yeah, man. So I lived at the time, literally down the street from Fat Beats. And so I would go there maybe once a week, once every couple of weeks or so. And, you know, it was peak raucous time. And so the, my introduction to um, Mostef and Talib was through Sound Bombing 2. Okay. That was a compilation that was just mind blown for me. And I realized, I think it came out after this album did, but it was my entry point into raucous and these two MCs. Then I went back to Sound Bombing Part 1. And then I went to Black Star and then, you know, um, Black on both sides. Um, but yeah, my love for Rockus was deep at that point. Yeah, mine too. I mean, this was, they, you know, they were one lyricist lounge compilation deep at that point and one sound bombing. And, you know, they had already put out Fun Crusher Plus with Company Flow. I don't think a high and mighty album yet, but Black Star was one of their like first five albums because they were a singles driven label and i should underpin you know i remember seeing the video for definition on rap city um you know which you would later you know go on to to do some things with and that video blew my mind and it's funny again like one of the things i love about hip-hop is its own vocabulary so that that out that song and the whole album the first black star album has all of these allusions and references to other aspects of of hip-hop and, and just music period and you look at a song like that and just the beat, you know, referencing, you know, BDP, um, you know, the lyrics refer referencing BDP, like that song, that era 98 sent me on a journey that, you know, quarter of a century later, here we are, you know, doing doing this thing. So it's it's truly 
you know, when you mentioned the word gravitas, that's what Black Star and, and the raucous movement represent to me. So when you heard Black Star, were, had you heard most and Talib individually first, or was your introduction to them as Black Star? Yeah, definitely not Talib. I mean, I had, um, I don't think I owned the first sound bombing, and I don't think I owned the first Lyricist Lounge yet. Um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and just say that, that they were probably new faces to me. And then at that point, when I put it together, I think I may have had stakes as high. The De La Joint, I certainly didn't have Bush Babies um, or like DJ Crush or some of those other places that most had appeared. I didn't even know that Cosby Mysteries was a thing. So he was a new, uh, he was a new, new fresh face and voice to me that later you, you saw different places kind of putting in his work. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, because I think for most people, their introduction to the two of them was as Black Star. Mm. And because of that, it seemed strange that they went off and did these solo careers and never came back to Black Star. But the reality is, is that they were both individual MCs and came together for this one project. I don't know, is at, at, at the label's behest or uh, they just met and, and, like, uh, and were cool with each other or what. But this was probably meant just to be a one-off from the start, but it became such a big touch point in underground hip hop, especially that I think it defined them. And most people think of them as Black Star first and, and splintering off to most and Talib. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, the ghetto boys are kind of like that. And, and oftentimes groups kind of fold into the temptation of that, you know, and Black Star never did. I mean, these guys have done concerts together. I know you were at one at the Red Rocks a few years ago. Um, I've seen them do, you know, spot appearances together. They've jumped on records periodically, put out singles in those 24 years. But Black Star was always the sum of its two parts, and they never let it be bigger. I think the fans at times did. But one of the reasons, too, that, that, that needs to be said is, is what 98 represented to hip hop, too. I mean, at that point, you know, you're two years removed, two years to a year and a half removed from the deaths of Tupac and Biggie which are literally part of the song definition. Like these guys came in talking about the things that were changing hip hop. And in 98, I don't know about you, but I remember, you know, that's hard knock life era. That's still like master P and no limits reign into cash money. That's DMX. So, you know, well, you had this same year, you know, the love movement came out. I think brand Nubian, you know, put out, don't let it go to your head. There were certain common was doing things. But Black Star was this fresh energy in a side of hip hop that I feel like was getting marginalized even more than it had been over the last two or three years. And it just it's why it's one of the reasons why it means so much to so many people, in addition to just great music and supreme talent. Yeah, you know, I don't think it is an accident that Black Star came into prominence when they did and rock us, too because it was just when the internet was starting to gain mainstream prominence. And so for those people like yourself and others who couldn't walk down to a fat beach or whatever the local record store was and pick up this kind of hip hop, all of a sudden you had Napster, which, you know, I was on all the time at that point. You had Sandbox Automatic, which was fat beats, you know, online uh, destination. You had hiphopsite.com. You had a lot of these outlets on digital that opened up the world of underground hip hop to everyone. And I think that's what allowed for Rockus and, and MCs like this to flourish. Yeah, I mean, this all made the charts, too. It's on the top 200, which, you know, the first sound, first lyricist lounge had just crept into. 
And all of a sudden, Raucous was a viable vehicle. And I feel like this album was harder for some folks to find, maybe when it first released, myself included, but certainly by Soundbombing 2 and, and what you're talking about, what came later, it was there. And, and it was funny, like you just made a great point about you know computers because I was thinking coming into this album, I believe when it dropped in 1998, I don't think we had a computer in the house. So you were learning, I was learning about hip hop through like time at the public library and at my high school's library. And that was such a cool experience when you have a finite number of minutes to absorb news and information. Now here we are, you know, I can reach next to me when I'm sleeping and read. So Yeah, yeah. So was there, did you gravitate more toward most or toward Talib in terms of solo artists? That's a great question. Um, I would say at the onset equal, I am convinced that Black Star is part of a, a three-headed monster of classics. I think this is a classic album. I think Black on Both Sides in 99, Most Def's you know, solo debut is, a, is an undisputed classic to me. And an album that I probably have listened to more than the other two is Reflection Eternal's Train of Thought, which you know, is, is called a group album because high tech produces it all. But you could just as easily, you know, say that it's Talib's solo debut as well. Um, I was a huge, huge fan of both. I think over time, as you get into the mid 2000s, I probably veered more into the excitement of a most deaf album. But I think that that's one of those things like Andre 3000 and Big Boy. You can make the case that they are equally talented, but 3000 has made himself more scarce, which will always play a role in novelty. Um, and you know, over the years, I think Talib, there was a period of time where he was putting out an album every year and you can often get jaded by that. But, but what about you? Yeah. You know, so Talib had songs that just blew me away. Um, like get by is still one of my favorite Kanye productions. And one of my favorite Talib songs, the blast is like just incredible. You put that joint on and it just goes. But most was that guy for me, you know, uh, Black on Both Sides is incredible. He had this uh, freestyle on a Funk Master Flex um, CD that came out back in like 99, something like that, where he just destroyed that uh, world tour or something like that. And uh, if you can hang, you can hear on the original sound bombing, just his voice and the things he said and just his swag just like just endeared me to him. He was one of my favorite MCs at the time, him and Jay Live. One of my guys, and, and and then Zion and I, right around that time on the West Coast. Yeah, uh, but but definitely a fan of both over the years. It's crazy you say that too, because I distinctly remember, you know, some of my first pieces of like clothing, you know, to let people know that I love this culture. When you know I'm I'm working at Burger King or I'm working at a grocery store, and I had a ruckus T-shirt. It was a T-shirt or a hoodie, and I went out and I got a Mad Lib shirt. I, I think I bought it on eBay. Um, and it's it's crazy to me because I've tried to imagine what it would have been like for me to imagine these guys making an album together because you know they're part of the same movement Stones Throw, which Madlib you know although no longer involved with is is I don't think Stones Throw exists without Madlib you know um, but you know Loot Pack and Yesterday's New Quintet and you know all the things that he was doing with Dudley Perkins and and those different people was so, so huge. And for anybody that pays attention, whether you lived it or, or participated in it, or you've done, done your math and research, this is a huge, huge gift from the heavens. The fact that, 
you know, not only a Black Star album, the first in a quarter century, but one produced by Madlib. And all three of these individuals have escalated their profiles. They've done interesting things. They've all done things, you know, outside of just putting out records. You know, Yasin Bey, most deaf, has, you know, continued to act, which he was doing right alongside the music. Talib, you know, podcaster, uh, bookstore owner, literature aficionado, you know, social activist. Um, and, and Madlib, just one of the most prolific artists of all time and, you know, has taken his talents to the highest level. And I think he continues to find new ceilings. Word, for real. Like he has had some incredible collaborations over the last like four or five years, which we'll get into. All right. So the album is called No Fear of Time, as you said, produced by Madlib. Before we get into that, let's like set the table. Let's talk about that first Black Star album uh, just a little bit more in depth. You know, so Talib had an interview with NPR recently, and I didn't know the meaning behind Black Star, but he said, um, we're named for the Honorable Marcus Garvey famously a Jamaican immigrant who came to America and was trying to build ships, the Black Star Line, to get Americans back to Africa. It's sort of the beginning of Pan-Africanism and a push for reparations. So with Black Star, we've always been about hip-hop, about Pan-Africanism, spirituality, and all these things that are necessary for the liberation of our people. And I think it's timely that we come back now. So uh, you want to talk a little bit? We saw those themes very clearly in the first album, you know, you talked a little bit about redefinition, which also, you know, had hints of uh, addressing police brutality and things like that as well. Uh, something that is, you know, just as relevant, if not even more so today. Um, you you want to talk about some of the highlights for you on that album? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, for me, I, I just said the other day, and I think I said it in our last podcast, actually, respiration to me is um you know a top 10 all-time hip-hop song maybe just song period and it might be top five to me that is perfection um and it's it you know again it's one of those things where for me I had not heard I knew who Common was but that put Common on another level to me um and made me go back and look at his catalog and follow him closely since that song to me captures um the heartbeat of New York you know you think of music like Dre in California, like music that's made for the car. To me, a song like that is meant for riding, you know, a train that goes over the East River and you can feel the motion and all of the imagery that they're using. And it just captures, you know, that line sigh before we die, like the last train leaving. Come on. Like that is, that is as good as as you're going to get from any of the poets they teach in college. Um, So you have that New York is a big element Um, where hip hop is, is a huge element. There's children's story on it, which, you know, again, 98, you're three years removed or two years removed from Montel Jordan, you know, flipping the sample of Slick Rick's children's story. This one takes the the lyrical melody, the lyrical aspect of it, and puts a story out, but is kind of about how artists um, are trying to get fame the fast way. You know, you rob another and another, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, like stealing bass lines. You could argue that it's 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 an attack on Bad Boy and you know, maybe Wyclef and, and maybe not Missy Elliott, but all of those cats that were finding mainstream success by doing certain things with the music. These guys were, were new, new faces in hip hop that were pulling no punches. Um, and then I'll choose another record too. I mean, I think, I think Brown Skin Lady is important at a time when, 
you know, I feel like the audience in hip hop had grown so much. You and I spent part of the last episode of the podcast kind of breaking down what Pusha T's line about J. Cole's audience could mean. And I feel like Talib and most came in and, and celebrated Black women who, well, women and sex has always been front and center on the hits. Um, I don't know that they necessarily had that kind of a moment, that kind of an anthem. And again, it it paves the way for Common's Delight. And, you know, a year later, you got me. Like, there's there's some really important love songs, period, coming in hip-hop. And I think these guys set the table for it. Are there... Are there other aspects of that first album that stick out to you that I'm not mentioning? Yeah, Brown Skin Lady, for, for the same reason you mentioned, and to me, I always pair that with Mind Sex by Dead Prez, because mm. it's another celebration of women uh, for who they are. You know, as we know, hip-hop can be so misogynistic. And so for these guys to, to have a song celebrating women and, you know, um, their qualities other than sexual qualities i think is really really important you know acknowledging the beauty but not making it sexual and then for me uh thieves in the night was also a standout respiration of course but thieves in the night was incredible beat and uh you know i think talib really shown on that record too so but you know uh that to me like you said is a classic there's nothing i skip on that album you know it's, it's one of my favorites to this day it's interesting too i mean the album you know really introduces two mcs High Tech produces, you know, in my mind, half of it. Um, and, you know, I hadn't heard of Mood yet, you know, this group out of Cincinnati, which is where some of the first times Talib got on wax ahead of this album. Um, there is absolutely a Midwest connection to it. Um, Jay Rawls from Lone Catalyst, which, again, me being a Pittsburgh guy, Lone Catalyst, Jay Rawls and Jay Sands were like some of the first guys we knew that were part of this movement. Um, 88 Keys, who we spoke of in regards to the Push a T album, is producing on it the beat miners, but then there's this interesting um, kind of collective that works on the album, Punch and Words, you know, um, huge, great MCs, Jane Doe, I mentioned Common, uh, Apani, uh, she's on it, and and the late Weldon Irvine, um, who is, is incredible, and anyone interested, I encourage them to watch the documentary by Tasha Digital and my man, Victorious DaCosta, on uh on him. And he was an OG jazz cat uh, that had worked with Nina Simone and a bunch of people that was hanging out with the ruckus guys too, and interested in rap. So it's an interesting cast of characters that represents, um, you know, the New Yorkian cafe, the, the ciphers in Washington square, a lot of the hip hop kind of Damascus that's going on, um, you know, in New York city. Yeah. Pony B fly. I've forgotten her name, but she was dope. Yeah. She yeah. was dope. So, okay, now it's been over 20 years. Um, over the course of that time, like you said, they've reunited in concert. Um, I think there have been a record or two leaked. I, I can't remember. Chappelle but, Show performance, right? Chappelle Show performance. There's been hints that Black Star wasn't dead. Uh, but around 2018 is when we first started to get a glimmer of hope that there would be a new album. So, it was February, so over four years ago now, where um, Yassin was playing a show in Denver, and he talked about new Blackstar coming, and they were working with Madlib. I think you and I debated whether or not to even run a story, because it was literally just that one sentence. No, nah, you're hating uh, on me, man. Yeah. It, it, I remember the day. It was the day I met your three sons, man. We, like, I had met, I think, two of the three. 
I remember you were in Philly. We all grabbed like a bite seat. It was really cool. You were having a father okay. Sunday. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that day, it was like a Saturday or Sunday, like cold. I'm thinking like nothing of it. Nothing's going to happen in the culture. And I remember that broke. And I think something else major, like within a two hour window. And I just remember, I'm literally, we think of these stories that we write and edit and I'm in the car, like pulled over making it. And that was huge. But I, I think what you're probably remembering is what we're talking about. I was like, I don't believe this, man. Like, this is one of those things that we hear about that never happens. But all right. And we did it. And I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah. So therein lies the debate. But we did it. <laughs> we did it. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a big story, obviously. And then now it takes over a year, a year and a half, almost two years later, where Talib comments on the album and says the album is done. Um, in November of 2019. And then in December of 2019, both he and Yassine speak about the album in detail. Yassine said, this new album is ridiculous, and I don't really care if you all don't like it. This just means we like different things, and that's fine. And he says um, that after three songs, um, that's when he felt confident in the momentum of the, of the recording. He said, that is my template for an album. The first three songs that you record will be the vibe of the whole record. Whatever follows after this will follow the tone of those three. And then Talib weighs in and he says, because Yassine is so focused on making sure that what we say in the music is deeper than just patting ourselves on the back and connected to a real compassion, there will be rhymes that I will kick. And he will say, eh, because the rhymes are too braggy and they are too much about me. Now, I feel the new album is good and I really stepped my game up. It's not that I'm always rapping about those things, but he made me realize that I just don't have to at all. And so that was, like I said, December of 2019. And then it was crickets for three more years. Uh, so April, of, or, or two more years. So April of 2022, we get an announcement that the album is coming um, in weeks. And, you know, it seemed to be out of nowhere. So, you know, given that it took four years and we've been told this was recorded in hotels and on the fly. Why do you think yeah, Dave Chappelle's, uh, Dave Chappelle's, you know, studio? in Ohio. Yeah. yeah. So, so why do you think it took so long to release this after the, the initial confirmation? You know, I would like to believe it's one of those, like, you know, I think, wasn't it Talib that says the album's ready when it, you'll get the album when I'm ready. MF her like back on the reflection eternal. <laughs> I'd like to believe that it's a pursuit of perfection. But I also have to imagine um, you and I spoke about it in 2020, like 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 certain albums are challenging to release in, in those early days of the pandemic. Um, and I also imagine that these gentlemen put a put a value on this album. And I'm not sure that value is is something that has a dollar sign next to it. But like, what is it worth? And are, is there a label? Is there a platform out there that will match that? You know, and I don't know if there were contract issues, um, you know, uh, so much to be to be questioned and wondered. Um, but all of that red tape, I imagine, took time. And, and the other thing is, too, like, it's interesting to me that these two guys that came together to make this um, album, I look at them as equal partners. And over time, you know, Talib has had a very public facing, um, you know, brand and persona. He's a podcast host. He tends to put out a project at least every year or two years. Yes, scene is harder to find, um, you know, and, and pops up in weird places, much like Big Boy in 3000. I'll use that same analogy. It's got to be difficult 
to see this through when you're dealing with somebody um, who might not be on the same continents as you and might not have the same um, just daily operation as you. And I don't mean to speculate too much, but I don't think that sounds terribly outlandish to you. No, not at all. Um, like you said, Yassin has lived outside the country for the majority of the last maybe 10 years or so. I know he spent a lot of time on uh, the continent of Africa. He spent a fair amount of time in France. He seems to be a guy who just follows his own muse and is not motivated by time or necessarily money, but just really the pursuit of art. You know, I'll also say there there might have been, in, in addition to your distribution um, thoughts, there might have been another business component, which is sampling. It takes a while to, to track down samples and clear them. And Madlib, as we know, is a crate digger. And so um, I imagine that took a while, too. I don't know what, you know, his timing played, how, how much that played a role in this, too. But we got not just two, but three people to get this album out and three people who all have independent lives and careers, like you said, and busy schedules. Yeah. And I looked and, and this album, you know, Madlib over the years has put out things that have been kind of on the hush hush tip. And it's interesting, you know, one of the, we'll get into the release format, but there are liner notes to this album and there is detailed sample clearances. Some songs, a single song on this album has three samples and, you know, in reading the personnel, sample clearances is front and center. So I have to believe you're right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the release strategy. So it was released through Luminary, which is the podcast platform that Talib uses for uh, the People's Party, his podcast. Um, and, you know, they decided that they were going to release the album strictly through Luminary. Now, I don't know if that is you know, we're going to release it through there first or it's exclusive and never going to be off there. But you obviously signed up and paid for what was your experience for me? You know, I signed up and I saw it was, I think, uh, $3.99 for, uh, per month. So I signed up and only to realize that I had actually signed up for a year and I couldn't get my money back. And I saw oh, later that there was a $4.99 option. Yeah. So, but that already was left kind of a bad taste in my mouth. And I'm like, damn, okay. I, I definitely don't mind supporting these dudes. In fact, I, I'm happy to support them and would have like bought in a band camp or whatever. But to feel like I got got by, you know, uh, you know, to quote most, that I got got by yeah. a platform um you know th that i was signing up for um you know left a, a, a little like bitter taste in my mouth but what was your experience with the sign up process well as, as a former veteran of online dating i know how to read the fine print <laughs> i uh i did get the one month joint and i uh we'll see if i keep it or not i kid about the online date i mean but i've done that with you know discovery plus i've done that with i just recently did it with um something to watch the Super Bowl, like, you know, it's funny, and I, I'm used to it. I've heard of Luminary. Overall, I thought the experience after that was fine. The one part that that I questioned is, I went there at midnight, not to find anything. I went there at noon, not to find anything. I hadn't paid yet, because I wanted to see what they would charge. Um, it wasn't until about four o'clock Eastern Standard that there was an album there, and I thought the user experience was cool. I haven't, I haven't downloaded Luminary on my phone, to be able to like play it in the car. It's strictly been, you know, desktop, home speakers. 
Um, and the, the players, I didn't have any issues. But um, what I was going to say is when you look at the album, it says it was loaded on Sunday. So I'm curious if there was just some sort of a shuffle or some confusion regarding the launch. And in that time, since four o'clock, they've, the album's nine tracks. All nine are there. There's liner notes, there's information, there's samples. And then this evening, between our taping and the album releasing, they created a 10th track, which is the whole album is one, all, I think, 36 minutes of it, 33 minutes. Yeah, you know, uh, I suspect it was just uploaded on Sunday, but set to release on Tuesday, you know, kind of like what we have with our YouTube videos and stuff like that. You know, the experience itself, once I once I was on, wasn't bad. I did have a couple of minutes where I wasn't able to access the album, and I'm assuming that they maybe had server issues, not expecting to get as much traffic as they did. But overall, it's been fine. Um, do you think now, so do you think this is going to be a window, meaning that it's only on for a month or whatever it is, or do you think that this is it and it's not going to ever hit DSPs? You know, it's funny, like over the years, I mean, we've watched Drake, the, the, the kind of exclusive album is done. Like, you know, I remember the, uh, the first time I experienced something like this was when Dr. Dre put out Compton in 2015 and I downloaded it. I paid for it, put it on Apple music. And it was weird because I can, you know, I, I do most of my listening one place and it's not Apple music. Um, and I didn't, that rest of that year went on and I didn't listen to that album unless it really dawned on my head. It wasn't, you know, an organic experience. And then in recent years, we've seen it with Drake. We've seen it with different folks, Jay-Z. Um, and now everybody's kind of playing the same. Um, you know, there are exceptions. And one of the people that we're going to talk about is Rock Marciano, who will drop something and give himself either a week or a month ahead I think this album will appear on the common DSPs. And you mentioned Talib's podcast, which is part of Luminary, but it also appears on YouTube. Um, and it also appears on other DSPs because I listened to it. And I'm sure there might be, uh, I'm not sure. I would expect that there's a exclusivity window. But, you know, th- as we're going to talk about, this album is so good that I think there's going to be a push to make people hear it as it pertains to charts and potential awards and things like that. So... Yeah, you know, I've looked on YouTube. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I will say, though, that if it is eventually um, released on DSPs, that that's kind of, um, I won't say punishing, but a bit of a disservice to the people who were loyal and paid up front. You know, it's almost saying that your most um, devoted fans are the ones who have to pay and everyone else will get a free ride, you know, at some point. But, you know, um, I'm wondering how this is going to impact listenership. You know, on on the economic side, Talib has been very clear as to why he's done it. And, you know, I can't fault him. He told NPR, he said, people spend money on things that are important to them. But when you ask them to support art, they balk. Because why wouldn't somebody go to a Spotify where you could pay $10 to hear any song you want? The onus is on me as the creator to figure out and set the price point and tell the people what my art is worth. And then hearing that, and, you know, like I said, the notion that the people who are most devoted and faithful are paying, I would almost rather see it just stay on this platform than to go on DSPs at some point. I think if people even pony up $4.99 for one month just to hear it, I think that's worthwhile. And um, I'd be curious as to what the economic split is, if people can figure out whether or not uh, they signed up for for this album, because if it's just pro rata, 
I don't know how those economics are much better. You know, I don't know the deal, but you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll be curious too, because Blackstar has the type of cachet that could, you know, be a, a huge windfall on vinyl and possible CD sales. Um, but I mean, streaming is, is where it happens. And I'll be, I would love to know, and I don't think we ever will, what Luminary did for these guys in terms of getting this exclusivity. I think it was in their vision in general. I mean, we talked about it in a previous episode, but Yasin Bey has put out albums in the last five years that have exclusively lived as museum exhibits. Um, you know, he was the guy who put out an album with no artwork back in 20, 2006 with True Magic, constantly challenging that notion to make the art stand a little bit taller in these times. But I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious if Luminary gave them a huge check and was like, hey, we really want to create, make this a fire in the stadium moment for us, but, but we'll see. And I do respect your point too. Um, to the fans, the folks, you know, you paid, you essentially paid $40 for an album. I've done that at concerts when the artist is sitting at the merch table, not to make some grand gesture, but for the same reasons Talib said it, to let people know that art matters and you want to hold a piece of something. But um, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, so let, let's get into the album. Um, you know, interestingly, they follow in the footsteps of Kanye uh, more recently, but then also meth and meth is deceptive. You know, we did an interview with him, I think it was back in 2015, mm-hmm. um, where he told us that he had not cursed on a verse, I think since like 2013 or something like that. And and listening to his catalog since then, he has not cursed on a record in um, like almost 10 years now, which is amazing. You don't even notice it because he's just such a dope MC. And then Kanye, when he put out Donda, you know, famously, uh, the Andre 3000 verse was pulled from Life of the Party. Uh, the song was pulled from the album initially because uh, suppose well, a couple things. One, Kanye was dissing, I think, Drake in one of the verses. But then also um, Andre had some curse words in it and he wanted them to to stand because he thought it was important to the art. And Kanye very much wanted this to be a curse-free album. Now, the curses were in some verses, but they were edited, and he wanted to edit Andre's verse, and ultimately it was when it was added to the deluxe version. So on this album, um, Yassine and Talib don't, uh, don't have curses that aren't edited. There are a couple curses here and there, but not many, and they are edited. So I thought that was interesting and and probably a reflect, reflection of where Yassin is these days because we've heard Talib and he curses on his record still, but we, we haven't heard Yassin in a while. Yeah, that's an interesting speculation. And I wondered too, and I don't think it's exclusive to Luminary because Talib curses on his own podcast. He's cursed yeah. to me. Um, but yeah, you're right. And and shout out to Meth because, you know, he's like Jackie Gleason or, you know, those other famous comedians that swear without swearing. Meth versus, you know, he'll... He'll, he'll even say like MF or, but he won't say the word. And I think that that's so cool. And you're right. You don't, you didn't notice it until he said it. So yeah. it's interesting, interesting play. The other thing that Talib said that I thought was interesting in that NPR interview is Yassin did not want to release this album until Ramadan was over. So with this week being Eid, you know, the album arrives. And I thought that that was really interesting because, you know, we seem, we seem to say this a lot about important albums, but spirituality is a heavy, heavy presence and a, and a focal point theme of No Fear of Time. So Talib says of the meaning of the album, I would say that main message, the main message is No Fear of Time. 
to let time, money, clout, trends dictate how you move, to not let time, money, clout, trends dictate how you move. And to be closer to whatever your core is, whether it's in a belief in God, whether it's a set of morals that you follow, getting closer to what your core is. So that's a a pretty lofty kind of mission statement for the album, just like on a top level, you think it achieves that? I do. And I think that it's really interesting because that is one of those universal things. I think, you know, we're living in a time where there's so much technology, there's so much urgency, there's so much FOMO, there's all of these things. And in a simple, succinct title, this lets people distance themselves from those pressures. And I do think it measures up to you. I do. And we'll get into some of the lyrics, but I think it very much is present what their mindset is um, and what they sought to accomplish. And I think they did it. The other question I had going into it was the artwork. So the artwork has two like uh, almost like space looking type figures. Um, They could be from anywhere in time, you know, uh, they could be uh, pre-human or it could be post but what, what was your interpretation of the artwork if you if you had any it's interesting because it's two individuals um you know i think it's fair to say they do appear to be you know black figures um and i just thought it was dope i mean it's just like one of those things that leaves you to wonder but they're they look like warriors you know and they've got horns um and glasses and and over the years there have been so many dope images of black star they're rare but the ones that exist, these guys know how to create a moment, create a vibe. We talked to T. Dot Eric Monroe about that last year, who f- was one of the first people to film, you know, photograph them. I think it just represents them, and behind them is a galaxy and light. And um, I think it's just another, you know, these guys are both big jazz heads, big music guys. I think it kind of falls in that lineage. Any any other, you know, symbolism that's jumping out at you? Yeah, I mean. I, at first, I thought maybe it was them, but there's such a height discrepancy that I don't believe that's the case. You know, okay. I don't know who's going to be. It's like, uh, you know, Prince and Michael Jackson were supposed to be uh, doing a duet on the song Bad. Okay. Uh, did you know that? No, no. Well, no. so Prince says, well, now, wait a minute. So the first line is, your butt is mine. So who's saying that to who? <laughs> Because uh, you're not saying that to me, and I'm damn sure not saying that to you. So I can't see either one of them co-signing, like, being, like, a foot shorter than the other one. So yeah. I, I, I don't know that, that it's the two of them. I, I did some research. I didn't find anything on the meaning of um, the album cover, but that's def- definitely something, because I'm sure that it's got some deep meaning to it. So It's rare to me, though, that, you know, twos usually, like, you know, we think of artwork and it's usually just one or it's a group and two seems too deliberate, you know, for, for a duo, one of the great duos, but yeah, that is, I hope these guys do some speaking on it. Maybe when they see this, maybe they'll consider speaking to us. I know Yasin is very, uh, very media reserved over the years. I've had some amazing conversations over the last 20 years with Tulum Kuali, but um, I would love to hear them wherever they speak, unpack that. Cause I'm curious. Hopefully here at some point. Um, so like you said, it's 33 minutes, nine songs, um, only two guests. You want, to, you want to talk about that? Yeah. So when the news broke last week, or excuse me, last month, there was talk of a number of guests, including them was Rock Marciano, who, again, is kind of an, uh, a modern architect of bucking the streaming system. 
another artist that I know and actually shared our article is Nico. I hope I'm saying this right. Nico is who, you know, has worked with Talib and been on his label for the last five or so years. There was a cast of characters, you know, Questlove appeared um, on the kind of produced audio vignette of the album. We didn't get any of that. The, the guests that we do get are huge though. Uh, Black Dot um, is on there. And so is Yummy Bingham, who has worked with Talib on some of his solo albums in recent years. So I'm a pull of Jake Payne and I'm a predict that we're going to get some remixes with some of those artists who were announced before at some point, especially rock Marciano. I think that, I think we're going to get that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I have a feeling those songs we will get. I suspect that black star, it's not going to be another 24 years until we get an album, but you know, that's not, I don't, that, that kind of buries the lead here. Um, one thing I did say, you, you, so you looked, Within minutes of this album going up, somebody had taken the title track. I think it was the title track on YouTube and, and uh, added a West Side Gun verse to it. Kept the beat. Are you serious? Um, and I was like, that's crazy. And at first I wanted to see if it was like, you know, some other version of the song. But somebody had literally just mashed it up. And when I looked again later, it was gone. That's but, insane. Um, How does it sound? It's all right, you know, and, and I mean, West Side Gun, I, I say that because you mentioned rock, like, like West Side Gun is definitely a product of, you know, kind of the, the trail that rock blazed in the early 2010s um, and continues to do. And yeah, it's interesting. The, in, in your mind, it might seem like these type of artists are too far apart, but no, nah, that worked. That would work. I'm, I'm here for more of that. Yeah, well, given though the themes that rock tends to rap about versus the themes that are showcased on this album, I'm wondering also if they just thought it artistic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply wasn't a fit with what they were trying to achieve but but we'll see um so let's dive in the first song is og uh, notably it's a small o and a capital g and throughout you know they say on god so uh you know suspect that that it is you know that's a abbreviation for that but this is right off the bat you know i hit you earlier and this one didn't grab me at first you know um it actually made me a little bit concerned about whether or not I was going to like the album, but, you know, listen to the the lyrics and you find Yassine in a really reflective and spiritual mood. And I think from the outset, he's leaning into that mission that Talib articulated in terms of what the album is meant to accomplish. You know, some of his lines that I pulled from this are grace for every morning, God open up mine and thine, Alhamdulillah. We, we all on notice that any next moment could be the last time. Then he says, the wonders and the wealth of all nations is really chump change once you take into consideration the living revelation that no soul could escape from. And then last, he says, and even when we die, we will not stay dead. And I said what I said, so there it is. The light is not afraid of the dark at all. Hmm. So, I mean, really, really like highlighting that notion of no fear of time. You know, I think that the ultimate fear of time is death. And 
you know, he's saying that he, he doesn't believe in death even, you know, um, the, the transition or, or whatever. But I thought that was pretty dope. But what, what was your take? And on production wise, like this song was, you know, um, I'd seen a description of it being a future vibe with vintage soul. Okay. And I think the, and that's, that's actually the luminary description of the album. And I, I think this song kind of embodies that the most, like you can't kind of pinpoint when the song was produced or what era it's hearkening to, there's this elements of both futuristic and throwback stuff. So, yeah, but definitely probably, probably my least favorite song on the album um, to start. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, one of the other albums we recently did a deep dive on was Benny the Butcher's, uh, you know, uh, Tana Talk 4. And that begins with Johnny P's Caddy, which still remains my song of the year up until today. Um, and it's the first song on the album. You and I spent, you know, some time talking about that and what a bold decision that was. I agree with you. I think OG is probably the weakest link for me, but it's not a bad song. It's not a skip song, but I love the fact that this album builds and it really builds to a crescendo. Um, one thing that Talib even pointed out to NPR that I have to say as somebody who's put Yasin Bey in my top 10 at different, depending on the days you've asked me, um, you know, since at least Black on Both Sides, he's opened every album with the phrase Bismillah, which I, did you know that? I like we not. talk about meth. I never I never caught that. And he said it different ways. And I hope I'm not mispronouncing it. Um, my accent, my Pittsburghness sometimes gets in the way of words as anybody listens to this podcast. Just the knows. accent? Okay. All right. <laughs> what do you think it is? <laughs> what do you say? I won't even go there. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Okay. Um, I, I like the song. I actually thought that early in the album, um, I really appreciate, not that it's a comparison by any measure, but I really appreciated uh, Talib's presence, you know, um, a lot here. He had a line I really like, getting paid independent like Cinema Nouveau, logging travels in my journal like Robinson Crusoe, Nom de Plume, no Daniel Defoe, Encyclopedia Britannica Flow. So I like that for a number of reasons, you know, you can look look at a Big L, Lord Finesse, Big Daddy Kane, and they've got the humorous bars. You can look at a Razkaz or a Chino XL, and they've got the ones that make you blush. You go, oh, my. Throughout his career, Talib has referenced literature, different stuff. And, and you know, one of the things, you know, we talked about the early days of the group. Talib, and I believe Yasin, owned a bookstore, um, Nakiro Books in Brooklyn, which was the oldest uh, Black book bookstore in the borough. They bought it. And if you look at old photos and see it in videos, that was a meeting, that was a gathering ground for these guys. And Talib later moved it online. I have, I've had conversations with him over the years about books. And that line of just name checking Robinson Crusoe and pointing out that the author used the nom de plume, like that's that type of stuff that meant a lot to me when I was 14 years old and still, you know, still like checks a box 24 years later. Um, and it just flows too. Um, I thought the the melody was really interesting, you know, in that first Black Star album, uh, Yasin has done so many things with his voice since, but he didn't really use the melody in my mind the way that he did on his solo album and the stuff since. So on the first track of this record to have him kind of come out dancing on the beat like that was just a really interesting choice. Um, you know, you mentioned Marcus Garvey earlier. I thought, and, and we mentioned where, um, you know, Yasin kind of being this international citizen but Talib has the line about to holler at Yasin and move to Africa. Spectacular bars assassinate your character. Brooklyn got the best rappers per capita. I, uh, 
I love that bar too, because, you know, again, there's, ar- there's arguably an allusion to Marcus Garvey in the Black Star Line. There's an allusion to most living wherever he lives. And then he drops in this, like, this, this, this chippy bar about Brooklyn, like saying they're the best. And again, I think back to 98 and, you know, Brooklyn keeps on taking it. So relax with the gimme backs. Like they, they let you know from rip that Brooklyn was, was on something. And they, they let you know that they were from the same streets as Biggie and, you know, Big Daddy Kane and, and the OGs. So I love that there's these hearkenings throughout the album that they are very aware of their legacy and what they've done. And we'll talk about that more. Um, but yeah, I thought that, uh, I thought that that was, a uh, a line to definition. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about that more at some point. I've been wanting to do a deep dive in that for quite a while in terms on of the boroughs, which borough or which, you know, region has the best, um, MCs. You know, I think, you know, obviously Brooklyn has got an argument, but I think Queens is there. I think Compton is there. Uh, you know, there are parts of Chicago. I think I think there's a lot of um, really dope regions. So but yeah, you can't you can't you can't front on Brooklyn. You, know, you had an interesting point about Mad Lib's production on this, too. You want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and might I add one thing, too? It's not a borough, but I've always been, you know, a huge advocate of Strong Island, too, man, especially when you look and, and Rock Marcy's part of that as well, like a modern example but yeah, I think that um, you mentioned that kind of like futuristic feel, but also a nostalgia. Madlib, you know, I, I can't spot the sample on this one. It's not one that I knew off top, but it feels like he's tapping into prog rock, which would make so much sense. Because on one hand, you know, prog rock boomed in the 70s and 80s, late 60s, where something goes backwards, but forwards. And Madlib doesn't overdo it. Um, it really just feels like he came in at a place to let the MC shine. Yeah, and so again, not my favorite track on the album, but I, I appreciate what it does because you know it's been 24 years. There's nostalgia, and from right in the beginning, they set the tone that this is not going to be a continuation of the first album. These are guys who have been around for 24 years. They've grown as men. They've grown as artists, and this is a representation of where they are now with their music. And so, um, I think that it is almost like a palate cleanser. You know? Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I'd be careful with that continuation. No, they're not trying to chase nostalgia and sound like it's 1999. But at the same time, this album, I think, has more in common with its predecessor than you might realize on the lyrical side. And I think, you know, there's there's groups that have taken long times away. Um, Tribe and, you know, De La Soul come to mind. And I would argue that that if you just play these albums, these guys lean into their their legacy. And again, just the lyrics. And I'll talk about it. It's a good segue into the next song, which is called. Yeah, so, I'll, oh. I'll say uh, okay. just on that. So lyrically, yes, I agree. Uh, and these guys are are who they are. And that's at their core. But sonically, I don't think this is anywhere okay. close to the first album. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm really talking sonically in terms of production. You know, the lyrics on this. I definitely dig, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think there's some cool themes, but production wise, it was very different than what I expected. Interesting. I mean, let me ask you, though, you, you, you make a really big point there. Are there things in the Mad Lib spectrum that you did expect? Like, did you were you expecting bandana? Were you expecting? Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that later on. You know, as the album progressed, I started hearing 
what I expected from Mad Lib, which is, you know, he's got that dusty soul, like esoteric, you know, chops of soul records um, that play really soulfully. It's a lot like what we hear from Derringer now and um, and Alchemist, you know, they all kind of have that same kind of theme for me of really dusty, esoteric soul loops that create uh, soulful records. And I heard a lot of that on this album, but it just wasn't present for me on, on the first record. Interesting. Got you. So I'm glad we're, we're, we're more hearing the same thing on the lyrical tip. So, so be it uh, is the second song. And again, like I might seem like I'm reaching here, but at one point, you know, Yasin has a line of wishing well coins. I have never heard anyone in my life that calls it a wishing well, like, like that and, and using hip hop lyrics. And one of my favorite, you know, a formative Black Star song, which isn't even credited as such, is Fortified Live, you know, which came out before the first album, if I'm not mistaken. And that's where he had the line, you know, I'm sipping wishing well water imported from Pluto. Like the fact that you're choosing that lexicon and going there seems so deliberate to me. Um, And I just thought that that was really interesting in that song. Um, Between the two verses on this one, too, you asked me that question early on of like, who is my favorite? One of the things that I love about Black Star and it was true of Tribe on Low End Theory. It's been true of Outkast. It's been true of Ghetto Boys, NWA. No one is the star. And I think early in the album on the just the bars aspect of it, Talib, you know, really got it. On So Be It, he just super impressed me. Um, any noteworthy things stand out to you on that song? Well, I think Terrence from Darby might have a few things to say about Wishing Wells. Uh... <laughs> That's a very good point. That is a very good point. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, this song, uh, you know, started to progress into a little bit more soulful. It still yeah. wasn't like quite there for me. And this is when I hit you. I was like, yo, what do we do if we don't like the album? And you said, yo, keep listening. Um, and I did. I will say that going back, I like this song better, you know, third, fourth time that I've heard it. Uh, the first song still doesn't grab me, but, um, you know, so be it. I like, and I agree with you um, about Talib kind of going in. Yo, man, you, you got me. And Terrence Trent Darby changed his name, too. I forget what it is now. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny when you're listening to an album and you're early on and you've had big expectations. And this has happened. You know, I remember this happening with Dre's second album, the 2001. And I was just like, why doesn't this sound like The Chronic right away? Like, OK, I'm hearing Lowriders. And it's wild to listen and then get to the end of an album. You feel safe. You've gotten your destination. And then you start again and you realize the journey, yeah. you know, and why it matters. So I 100% feel you there. One point I want to make, and I want to give a shout out, you know, we've covered Altered Crates mashups on Ambrosia for Heads over the years. You know, very, you know, the, hip hop is a community and there's a lot of folks that drop input in the comments and make us better. Altered Crates made a point on Twitter moments after the album came out that the Yasin verse on this song was uh, a leftover from the ecstatic and it was called White Drapes. And I thought that was interesting. Again, I mean, as you spoke about this album being made in Denmark, being made in Ohio, kind of being this living, breathing thing on, in its own time. Um, there have been other times where, where Yasin Bey in particular has taken lines or couplets and put them multiple places. But I thought that that's interesting. If you're really traveling back to an album that was incredible, that Mad Lib worked on, The Ecstatic came out in 2009, also not on the DSPs. Um, and to see those kind of verses 
taking shape, you know, here we are 13 years later. I just think that's dope. Yeah. And that might've been part of the delay too. They might've like started off with a, a, a nice core four or five songs, five, six songs, but not enough for an album. And it may have taken years for them to get to a place where they could record those other three, uh, three songs. You know, Talib said in another interview, I can't remember where it was, where that um, he took a different approach. You know, it seemed like that every time that he and Yassin were getting together, he would mention the black, uh, Talib would mention the black star. And it started feeling like pressure. And, you know, Talib recognized the fact that these guys are friends. They've been uh, co-workers, you know, and and like our boys outside of this music thing. So he decided to take the pressure off and just not mention Black Star at all. Uh, one time when they hung out, then they ended up hanging out several more times, I think, on a European tour. And then things started to organically happen after that. So, you know, it's possible that it, it just might have been uh, some time to get um, Yassine back to the studio. And that's that's so it's so interesting. You know, I was listening to an interview from uh, Little Brother. You know, with their with their um, "Made the Lord Watch" album, and or, and you know, I was listening to Fonte and Pooh talk about how they just needed to hang out. You know, uh, after the time away of just like we got to get back in the rhythm, and it's funny how that works. And I honestly believe that it leads to better music than to just rekindling with somebody or reconnecting with somebody that you don't see that's a creative collaborator and just pressing record. You've got to build that, that kind of that flow, that synergy. Yeah. So the next song is called sweetheart, sweet, hard, sweet, odd, which is a really odd title for a song. You know, I definitely want to hear more about like, you know, these titles and everything, because everything seems very intentional with this work. Uh, but this for me is where the album really starts to take off. This is the the Mad Lib sound that I expected coming in. You know, um, you know, he's really in his bag with you know soul samples and chopping it. And you know, the MCs definitely match his uh his um energy with this you know, right in the pocket. Like I I think this is where I was like, okay, all right, cool. This is Black Star, this is Mad Lib, here we go. Yeah, that's a really good point. In a way, the album starts to take flight here. Um, and I'll I'll give it up to Madlib. I think that he kind of goes into turbo maybe before Yasin and Talib do. Like there's really important things that both of them say. There's 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 highlight moments early on, but this is where you kind of move into the second act where things start to get really interesting. And this is the beat for me on this song. I mean it's not lost on me that these guys made a love song or a, a lust song as appreciation song, you know, for, you know, about affection with Brown Skin Lady. This is that. This is the love record in the album. And what I think is interesting um, is it there's 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 complexity to it. It's not just a straightforward like I love you. Um, you know, the bars that jumped out to me were from Yasin. See, it's moments like these. You remember the breeze, forget the scenery and remember the fleet. Forget the magic, remember the sleeves, South Cloaks, Dangerous Charms, and the truth too wild for the for the blinds to hide. And like, you know, I've talked about it before. One of the things I love about hip hop and just verse in general is there's parts of that that make clear sense to you now. And there's parts that may take time to unfold and really resonate. It's like wine, you know, and I thought that that's just dope songwriting. That's why he's one of the best. It's also true. Um, the bars that come come later, too. Find the solids in the dark and the light 
is not afraid of the dark. Find the solids in the dark that the light is not afraid of the dark. That part. The kid should light a spark. That's art. But don't be confused. You won't put me to the Scrooge. And like you're mentioned, you're referencing, you're mixing Scrooge with this repetition and wordplay. It's just, it's interesting to me, if nothing else. Yeah. Yep. Um, this is, um, like I said, um, clearly into the album for me. You know, the next song is my favorite band. And they do something interesting on this album. You know, we've seen this before with Tribe Cloud Quest on like Low End Theory, where uh, even though it's two MCs doing the heavy lifting um, on both on, on uh, each song, they'll branch out for a solo record uh, within the album. And this is Yassine's solo song. Um, this is another song that just like is another Mad Lib soul masterpiece. Um, the production is just incredible. Um, and Yassine just leans into it. I know you had some lyrics here that you dug too. Yeah, because people want to hear me stumbling over these bars. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought, you know, it, it reminded me of Mad Villainy. Like there were some really profound, just kind of like verses on there. Like, like I say verses with that emphasis because it is, it's just a reminder that it's poetry. But um, he says, from the start, the only thing certain is the end. Promise to all and none, knowing not when. Heartbreak from yesterday, a fret for tomorrow. I leave you now filled with anxiety and hollow. If you pray, don't worry. If you worry, don't pray. My Umi told it to me just the other day. From the tall castle walls to the mean teeth streets, I hope you get what you want and that you want what you need. I mean, like, come on, man. Like, that to me is is everything that you can really only get from Yasin Bey. And of course, there's adages in there that you know i mean he even says like my umi told me like there's that that just proven proverb wisdom but somehow with the cadence with the slickness like you said with the swagger that you get from yasin bay it's just second to none so there's a lot of talk about death on this album it's almost on every song which is interesting because it's very different than um the talk about death that you hear from a lot of other artists you know Tupac was uh, very death focused. I would say probably fatalistic. And, you know, Biggie obviously uh, named two albums after, you know, death. Um, you know, a lot of current artists um, are really focused on death. Interestingly, Nas says on uh, my Bible, uh, don't talk about death as power in what you say. But I don't think he was talking about these guys. They're talking about it in an empowering way, in a no fear kind of way and that it is an inevitable part of this part of life but that life goes on past death and so it's almost like they're talking about it as a spiritual transition a powerful thing rather than something that um they're seeking or or um that that's dark yeah i mean i really think you're onto something and it it kind of falls into a conversation, you know, in hip hop that's been going on for the last four or five years, just about aging. I mean, we are watching some of the greatest MCs of the 90s and 2000s become middle aged and like what how do they reckon that? So, you know, we've talked about it with Royce. We've talked about it with Fonte, Black Thought. We talked about it with Slug from Atmosphere. There's a Jay-Z. There's a host of examples. But you're right with Black Stars addressing death. It's different. And you have to think, I mean, these guys have lost so many peers from the Jay Dillas and the Dooms to the Sean Prices and the Pumpkinheads, like these guys are losing um, 
their beloved. And they, instead of, you know, making it about mourning, it's, it's almost a, a, a reaffirmation of living. And like you said, not to be fearful of it. And I think that that there are invocations throughout the album that, that, that snap on that. And this one is, is really, really, it. there's another thing in the song and it's crazy. I mean, this is an album that goes back damn near five years from the first time that February of 2018, when, you know, Yassine Bey alluded to it in Colorado, they could have never planned when it came out. But right now there is a lot going on um, in this country, in this world, there are wars going on. There is major action in the Supreme Court. It's not lost on anyone. And there's a line in this song that I thought was just resonant and speaks to your point. You know, life is beautiful even when the world is whack. And like, you know, that's taking a hip hop phrase and also just saying something that's like tried and true. Life is beautiful. And it was crazy to me because, you know, I spend a lot of my days, you and I do something we talk about on this podcast, where I would say certainly 350 days a year, one of us, and it's probably more than that, text another one a song. Like, that's your diary. That's that's how you look at the world today. And maybe it's a song you heard in an elevator, and maybe it's something that that fits into what's going on in your life. But all day long, until I heard this album, I was searching for the words that I later found in the song. And I think that just speaks to the power of music and art, which again, underpins what Talib said to NPR about art in general. And, and absolutely, here we are, track four, the album really starts to soar. Yeah, and at this point, especially with Yassine, I'm not hearing raps as much as I'm hearing poetry. You know, the, 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 the passages that you're reading to me read more like poetry than, than rap and, you know, the things that he's discussing. So the next thing is called, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing you know these titles are just are wild you know and they start with the capital letters and everything else is small letters again i, I want to find out what what is going on uh the meaning behind these but this one so we spent the last two tracks were more bright soul samples more accessible uh readily accessible immediately for this one uh it's a darker sound uh madlib juxtaposes a more sinister beat but interestingly, the lyrics are elevated and hopeful or, or positive, you know. So Talib says, God's amazing. We artists, this ain't just a product placement. Love is a spiritual technology. Love is a spiritual technology. I give it up to God when they clap for me. I love to give credit where the credit is due. It's beautiful. It's a struggle faced by the destined too. You know, obviously a, um, you know, reference to um, his beautiful struggle um, mixtape and album from back in the day, but um, it just those lines over this kind of a dark beat is a bit of a head trip because it, it you know usually the lyrics kind of fit the sonic theme, but this seems to be a deliberate juxtaposition. Yeah, you know this song to me is like vocal. It reminds me of those type of jazz records that you know the speaker, the vocalist is part of the music. Um, yeah, seen in particular does these, you know, you just called him, you mentioned how it's poetry. He'll do these things where, you know, the, 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 the repetition and the other words that he's using, like ad-libs and, and uh, onomatopoeia is like, it creates, it adds to Madlib's beat. It's really deep. And it, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, like Saul Williams at the end of Slam, you know, one of my favorite poems or like there's Archie Shep records that did that. It's powerful, powerful stuff. And at the end, 
you know, Yasin says, everything is not for sale. Everybody pays a price. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Like, and to me, that captures that profound with the whimsical, you know, it's no secret. We talked about children's story earlier and the ecstatic, you know, most deaf is deeply influenced by Slick Rick. And Slick Rick could do that where he could drop, you know, a gem on you that feels like it's, you know, a truism of the ages, but then remind you that it's fresh for 88. And I love the fact that Yasin goes, yikes, like as if to say like, this is heavy shit, but I don't take myself as seriously as you might think I do. Yeah, yeah. So you want to talk about Yonders? Yeah, Yonders is, a, you know, another Mad Lib joint. Um, I would say, you know, like, um, like we said two tracks ago, it, it has that future feel. And I love that. You know, one of the things that we're, we're coping with is space and time. Um, and Blackstar kind of wants you to think there's elements of the 70s. They kind of want to go to 2030. They have fun with it. Um, I thought Talib had a really shining, fi- shining verse here. What's interesting about both of these guys, and they've done this throughout their career, they really know how to hook you with the first few bars. So Talib comes in, he says, shots fired. You say your block is like the wire. I'm not inspired. Real G's try to stop the violence. They're not aspiring to live in food deserts like improper diets. I thought that's really um, just interesting. And it, it kind of, I looked at it and I'm like, who's he speaking to? Is it about, you know, hip hop peers talking about, you know, hard realities? Is he talking to gentrification um, and just people that like to glamorize, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, I, I live in, in this area. Um, and I kind of get, you kind of get your answer. Um, in the ensuing bars, you know, he mentions gentrification point blank period after recalling like buying um, utility knives at buck fifties and Krylon cans. He even talks about how Brooklyn is displacing people. And again, these guys went as hard for Brooklyn as Jay-Z has, you know, especially on that first album. And Yassine comes in. um, Well, first Talib mentions all the different, you know, heritages that represent the Caribbean, um, kind of menagerie of Brooklyn and I think that's really important and again you talk about the the contrast of 98 to 2022 Brooklyn is is wild different um and I thought that that was that was curious Yassine right as Talib exits the song Yassine comes in immediately keeping that same graffiti imagery throughout his verse um at the end he did something that's interesting he flips the words and I believe it's an allusion to uh, a book that meant a lot to me right around the time this album came out, heartbreaking work of staggering genius. And he flips it to say a fun crushing work. And I was like, that's another illusion. I swear. Like, again, how often do you hear of like fun crusher? Whenever I hear that, I think a company flow and that was their label mates. And, you know, back in the raucous years, I thought that was interesting. Maybe another Easter egg. Maybe I wear a tinfoil hat. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this notion of Brooklyn and it gentrifying is one that we're hearing a lot these days in hip hop got a couple of artists that have dedicated whole albums to it recently. You know, one being sky zoo with all the brilliant things, incredible album last year and the master ace and Marco Polo with um, a Brooklyn story as well. So, you know, even though Yassine is not living there and uh, I, I believe in Talib is, you know, Talib is front and center. So he's seeing it like as it's happening, you know, and like you said, sonically, this one is one that really represents that notion of futuristic and in the past at the same time. It's a you know kind of throwback soul sample by Madlib, but it also has you know K 
keys that sound like space agey and space sound effects. So it's a weird kind of dichotomy, you know, and Madlib is, is they're, they're really playing with, you know, kind of like putting different mood, mashing up moods almost. And, you know, I think that's pretty dope, which leads into Supreme Alchemy, the next song. You know, this is Talib's solo song on the album. And, you know, it might be my favorite album. It's probably a toss up between this one and the next one. But it's incredible sample again. And Talib is just, he's hes rapping like in pocket, sounding great. He says, at the crib, we listen to Mad Lib, high tech, Dilla beat tapes, and that's it. Supreme alchemy, refined chemistry, divine energy. And so this is one where, you know, he's not bragging. Like he said, he's not doing that. But this is more just like on some love of hip hop type ish. You know, and so a, a break from a bit of the heaviness or like um, heady themes of the rest of the album. This is a, a just a, a fun love and hip hop song and, and, you know, with a great beat. So I really love this from the beginning. It's nice that he shouted out High Tech, too. You know, I watched um, he actually had High Tech on the People's Party recently. And at the very end of the interview, they alluded to more work together, i.e. an album. And, you know, obviously we got a great body of work right now, but it was cool again, just in dot connection. Um, he has a lot in there that, that kind of perplexed me. He says, on them days that I wish they took me instead of Beverly, I remember Rhapsody reminded me that life's ahead of me. I dropped their non sequiturs to bomb executives. You'll always be the winner if you decide what the metric is. Control the game, don't be the game or the predator. Me, myself, and I, such a formidable competitor. Damn. And like Rhapsody could be like, you know, the traditional Rhapsody. I tend to believe it's Rhapsody the MC, that they've done some great work together with that Indy 500 project back in the day. Uh, I think that this might be giving cue of like, yo, somebody reminded me that, you know, I got all this potential, all this power. And anyway, even, even my clunky ass reading those bars, you hear the syncopation, you hear the flow. And I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's a Talib solo song, but it is... Um, a highlight within the album. And this is as good as I've heard Talib rapping in a long time. I would say at least 10 years. And that doesn't, I mean, you and I in 2017 included Radio Silence in our best albums of the year. Like Talib makes dope work, but something about this, maybe it's those confines of like, hey, we're not going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that. We're not going to, whatever it is, like, um, incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah, you'll always be the winner if you decide what the metric is. That's such a dope line, you know, and, you know, life is really about playing games where other people are writing the rules. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, really sharp insight on that one. There's another there's another set of bars that I do feel need to discuss as we talk about that concept of, of death and their peers. But bear with me. He says, but hella fake. Why sedate when you can meditate and focus on ideas? Because police, you can't legislate legislate irregulate always on time my faith is never late so before every meal the proper the, the proper said his grace celebrate we pay tribute and commemorate when you know your self-worth you give thanks to your fellow greats celebrate escaping from the industry to get away seeing the same kind of fate that turned dumal to metal face celebrate when you slow down we accelerate like you know we did a whole episode after we lost doom um he's like again you talk about the repetition the type of songwriting of celebrate 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 
like that affirmation to live life and be, you know, live in the moment, no fear of time, but also, you know, to live even, even on the first black star album, like they came at the industry, they let you know that there was a discomfort with the idea of people benefiting off of your art, especially, you know, folks that are not of the culture benefiting from black art. And he talks about what made Dumile turn to metal face, like, in one bar, and if you know the history of MF Doom and what he dealt with in the major label system, losing his brother, watching his album get you know shelved over um, freedom of expression, all of these things, like, come on, you could teach a class off that verse. Yeah, yep. And so the next song is called Frequency, and this is featuring Black Thought. Um, this is, like I said, tied for probably my favorite song on the album. The whole thing is a masterpiece. Every MC like comes with bars. Mas- Madlib delivers an incredible production. Uh, I don't know that I can recall hearing Black Thought on Madlib, uh, but he sounds great on a Madlib production. And um, you know, this is there's just nothing I can say that that's bad about this song, you know, I, 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 and it's a great way to kind of start to wind down the album. It is. It's a, it's a tremendous song. I'm just double checking you because I think um, Black Thought was on, uh, was he not on uh, Bandana? Uh, I don't know if he was on Bandana. Education. That was Killer Mike. Nope. Yeah. Uh, he was anyway. on uh, that uh, Benny, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, he was. I'm right. He was on Education. Well, this- uh, Freddie Gibbs, Mad Lib, Yasin Bey, and Black Thought. Anyway, you make okay. a great point. And one of the points, like, you know, Black Thought has done these solo albums with Ninth and the Soul Council and another with Salam Remy. I'm like, yo, whatever this is, because this is one of my favorite joints on the album. And yeah, I know we're winding down, but it's three MCs, just top rank. And Black Thought comes out just swinging. And um, he lets you know that he is keenly aware of his power, you know, and, and gravitas. So the last song is No Fear of Time, the title track. And I think it is in many ways a summary of all the themes on the album. You know, um, Talib says, run away, that's the plan, live above the grave. So, you know, all this talk about death, but uh, a lot of it is really to emphasize living life. Like you said, none is safe. I see their pain on their mother's face. A ton of grace is what she showed as they took away her firstborn. These are heavy, heavy lyrics about slavery and other things. She didn't break. She didn't look away because of race. They said her life wasn't valuable, because, but that was fake. They said a wound create capital, but that was rape. They say because she's Black that it's impossible to be racist, but they assume the racism is logical. So, I mean, it doesn't get more you know, conscious, for lack of a better term, than this song. Um, I think it ties together many of those themes that we found on the first album. It's a full circle moment for them lyrically, um, not just for this album, but them as Black Star generally. And I think a great way to end the album. Huge. It's a crescendo. I mean, these last three songs are, are my favorite on here. Um, and yeah, I mean, to just kind of affirm what we're saying, Yasin Bey, and I'm just going to read the couplet. He says, a message from the ancient future, a fresh fossil a piece of the buried gospel that the earth refused to swallow ancient future like that, you know, whether you're talking about the production, whether you're talking about the lyrics, um, the references, the, the, the wisdom, 
that's what this album is. And I agree with you. It's a phenomenal place to end. And then again, just with this idea of death, it ends with Greg Tate speaking, you know, the incredible writer that we lost um, recently. And, you know, he's speaking about the transition of, of what a group like black star and hip hop represents in the continuum of black art. And it's just powerful, powerful words. And, you know, this, this group um, has always, you know, we lost um, Kay Slay recently. And, and, you know, even that of I'm wearing by design my Star Wars hoodie tonight because before I ever saw Star Wars, the part of, of Black Star where it was, you know, two whole cars, it was me and Dez. And like the, the, the lyrics and the references that they put in between, not lyrics, but interludes is so much a part of the greater, greater vision um, and the mosaic. So, whew, incredible, incredible album. Uh, nine songs, not a minute of filler. Yeah, so Madlib has now produced a number of albums um, in entirety. Um, some real classics, or at least underground classics. So you got Mad Villainy with Doom. With Freddie Gibbs, he has Bandana and Pinata. Um, you know, uh, I think that Bandana for me was, I think, my album of the year that year, or in like definitely top two, top three incredible and i like pinata too but bandana just took it to a whole different level for me uh so and then he's got like collabs with like strong arm steady percy p guilty simpson and and others where would you put this in the canon of mad lib collaborations i think it's in that upper echelon i think those first two examples that you mentioned are right there i think this is every bit as good um and i might be biased as you know the freddie gibbs um you know, two piece of, of bandana and pinata. Now, not for nothing. Those are, those are longer albums um, and they don't have the benefit. I mean, Freddie Gibbs is, is arguably more prolific than Talib, Talib Kweli. So the fact that they cut through um, the conversation is a true testament to, to Gibbs and Mad Lib. But I think this is in there. Um, and I think, you know, above it is, is Mad Villainy. Time will tell. Obviously, this is, this is just fresh. But to me, you know, Mad Villainy is is an all time classic, and two artists in peak form. Um, yeah, this to me is is in that region. Um, definitely shout out to Strong Arm Steady, Percy P, Guilty, on and on because Mad Lib has done a ton of projects, and there are times where he's just handed people a bunch of beats and said, "Do with them what you will." And I think there's times where he's been more hands on with it, and. Um, certainly from what we know, I imagine in Denmark and in Ohio, I don't think Madlib was there, but I'd be curious if there were elements added to it after, um, you know, after he heard the verses, because this, this just feels like a conversation between the music and the lyrics. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I agree. I think, um, this stands with his best work as an album. Um, you know, I would throw even like loop pack in there and stuff like that you know um i think this is some of his best work and you now i'm only like four or five listens in too on the first night so i think this is going to be an album that opens up over time both lyrically and musically you know um in terms of how it fits within the black star catalog of two i don't think it's fair to rank them especially not now but i will say that i think that this is complimentary and very much continues the legacy. I think that they had a lot to live up to and the expectations were going to be incredibly high, if not impossibly high after 24 years. But I think they stepped up and they met it and they did it definitely by 
one, not trying to just rehash what they had done in the past, staying true to who they were lyrically, but pursuing a very different sonic template. And I think that it is fantastic. And I hope that it's not the last we hear from them for another 20 years. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a hunch that we're going to get more. Um, I, f- I feel like this was a tiptoe in the water to see what's there. But obviously, as you said all along, these are two solo artists. Um, and I agree. I think that this album, you know, the first Black Star, you know, hasn't had two artists that have advocated for it the whole time. I mean, even Tribe went on elaborate tours in the years between, you know, their hiatus. Um, Outcast has, has done concerts together. Ruckus doesn't even exist anymore. Um, and these guys talk about the album when they do. So this new album made me appreciate it for what it is. I am not disappointed in any way, shape, or form. And as I listen to it, as this becomes the soundtrack of my days, it makes me want to go back and listen to the first one. And I would never compare the two, but I think that this one absolutely does it does it 100% justice to the group, the legacy, the sound, and, and moves it forward. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, in 2022, um, so far is probably my album of the year. You know, um, I think that, and we're going to talk about this in a second, that its biggest challenger is likely going to be Kendrick um, in another couple, and actually um, she's uh, just less than two weeks away. But um, this thus far, just lyrically, you know, sonically, I don't think it's an accident that it's, uh, it's so short, you know, because you know, we just don't have time to listen to hour, hour and 20 minute, hour and 30 minute projects. Although as uh, we move into the next topic, that might change. Um, but I'll just say there's very few artists that can command that much of my time, especially on a repeated basis. You know, it's not like a TV show or a movie where you're only doing it once. You know, if you're listening to an album and one that you love, you want to hear it over and over again. So that's just a big commitment. So I love the fact that this is just 33 minutes. Uh, and I think it, it'll definitely be in my top five by, by year in. I don't, I don't see it dropping out. And it could be, you know, up near the top. So we'll see. Yeah, if it's not in mine, it's been a great year. I agree with what you said. This is my new front runner. This album just hit me very differently. Um, and, and we've seen these short albums command that AOTY status before. I think of Pusha T with Daytona. I think of Benny the Butcher with Plugs I Met, especially the first one. Um, and yeah, and, and one other thing, just one last thought, you know, there have been these big, oh my goodness, I never believed this would happen moments in, in recent history. I alluded to Tribe coming back after 18 years with an album, um, you know, Gangstar, 15 years between the owners and, you know, their um, more recent album. And both of those examples, though, you had a group member that had deceased, Fife, Fife was not there to see the release of Tribe's album and Guru had been gone, you know, for damn near 10 years when the recent album came out. Um, So this is different. You know, I I remember Dr. Drake coming out with Compton and I can honestly say, and I don't, I never, you'll never hear me say otherwise. It was a cool album, but I was disappointed. It doesn't live up to the canon of 2001 and the chronic. It was great that Dr. Drake came and he had, you know, Kendrick and Anderson Pack and Eminem and all of that. But that album is weird and I've gone back to it recently and it just, it kind of got lost in the lights. The only other thing that is even close is Jay Electronica, which we never saw coming. And he released his Grammy nominated album right 
that was the joke, right? Like the pandemic happens and Jay Electronica releases an album. Um, and maybe because of how I associate that album with some of the darkest times in the world, it's a weird thing to go back to. But this to me is kind of the new standard for exciting things because there's no death, um, even though death is a theme and the album really delivers on its promise. And I just think that's new and exciting. So Outcast, if you're watching, you know, follow this blueprint please yeah and you know it's a it's a good segue into the next topic because i do think that you know even though it's not anywhere close to 24 years the five years of absence that kendrick lamar has had since damn especially for an artist of his age and generation is almost like an eternity you know and so the anticipation I don't know that there is a more anticipated album in hip hop this year. I don't know. There's been one in the last 10 years. Personally, I think that this is especially given Kendrick's status, winning a Pulitzer, uh, being nominated for rap album of the year, album of the year to pimp a butterfly, getting 11 nominations or whatever it was. Um, I don't know that there is an artist in any genre that has more expectations heaped upon him for his album than Kendrick does. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see what he delivers. I've gone back and started listening to not only his old albums, but uh, old podcasts about his albums, because what I've learned is that Kendrick's albums are sequential. They, they, they build on themes from past albums. And so I really want to be prepared for what we receive with Kendrick. So I do think it's going to be special. And just today we found out that it might not be one, but two albums, you know, the album is called, we, we got a, um, a folder with a release in it a couple of weeks ago saying that the album is going to be called Mr. Morale and the big steppers. And today we got a photo of two discs. One is Mr. Morale and the other is the big steppers. So I know you did an article on this. Uh, I'm not convinced that this is going to be two separate albums. I think it's going to be one double album. I think it'll all be on TDE. I think it's going to put Kendrick, um, you know, all the great MCs thus far have had double albums. So you had Tupac had one, Biggie had one, Jay has had one. Nas. Um, Nas, yeah. Uh, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage. And it seems like, I guess this is Kendrick's time. And after a five-year absence, why not? My main critique of most double albums has been that there's always some filler. It's really tough to put together. And Kanye's album, Donda, is effectively a double album, even though it's not called that, with 25 songs, 30 songs. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if it is two different uh, different albums sonically, Big Crit has done it, um, and thematically, That'll be interesting, especially if it if it gets into one is TDE and one is PG Lang, which you wrote about. But you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's all speculation and no one likes to have more fun with a rumor than Kendrick Lamar. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just those two discs. And it's funny, those examples are kind of antiquated. I mean, I think that the Kanye Donda one is real, but for a lot of people, the double album existed um, simply because it correct me if I'm wrong, you got two separate counts towards the charts with that right so well, and also there was limitation on the capacity of the album initially which is right. less than that of the cd but there was just limitation on what you could put 
Right, but I'm thinking of those mid-90s when, you know, between 96 and 98, you saw Wu-Tang and Bone Thugs and, of course, Pac and Biggie. And the fact that, you know, Biggie and Pac especially were able to make, um, you know, I would contend as classic. You and I, you know, together collaborated on a piece in 2016 that All Eyes on Me is the last flawed classic album. Um, is interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I could see Kendrick looking at his heroes and wanting to compete. I thought of the Frank Ocean example, which is something you and I had talked about, where Frank Ocean back in 2016 fulfilled his obligations with Def Jam with an album, I think, called Endless. And then the very next week released an album, um, Blonde, on his own label. And I was like, you know what? I couldn't see Kendrick doing that because what I recall of Frank Ocean is the album he put out on his own company was exponentially better. That's the one the fans and the critics gravitated towards. I would believe... Um, if anything, Kendrick is going to come up with some contrast. I even thought of the songs, you know, Good Kid, Mad City, like two different records that showed what the meaning of those two phrases were back in 2012. And I'm just super duper curious. And it could be him wanting to compete with the all time so that 20 years from now, we can truly compare Kendrick to Jay, to E-40, to Scarface, to Pac, you know. And we um, can do that now. We can do that. Yeah, right we now. can do that now. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like for the people out there that say, oh, it's a different game there. You know, there were less games in the season or this or that. Like Kendrick is so competitive that he wants to check every box to make sure that he goes down as the greatest in history. Um, but I'm super curious. And when that title came out and it sounded like a mouthful, um, it makes a lot more sense if it's two different ideas, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, there's no point in speculating because whenever we do that, um, we look foolish, um, and there's always deeper meaning to what he does. So I'm just going to sit back and count the days to, uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to that. So you mentioned, um, push a T earlier and last, last podcast we did, we spent the bulk of our time talking about how Pusha had positioned that as a versus between Kanye and Pharrell. Mm -hmm. And so he re or he, he rejiggered um, the, the, the track list. Um, you want to talk about that recently for, for Spotify? Yeah. I mean, literally after the weekend, I think on Monday or Tuesday, they released a special edition of the album that, that, that fiddled with the sequence a little bit to play out like a versus battle one from Kanye, one from Pharrell. And of course, it doesn't work perfectly the way that the album is and, and they collaborated on one track. But I thought that was interesting. And it really underpinned the point that we had highlighted is that he envisioned this as a versus. I mean, that is push his own words to The Breakfast Club. And when you really look at it, that's what it is. Um, you know, and, and shout out to him too. He got his first number one of his solo career, of clips, of Re-Up Gang, of all of that stuff with the album. And I really, I stand by our conversation. A lot of folks, I think we're texting both of us because we agreed, I think a lot on the same songs that we liked, but our rating was about a whole point off on a 10 scale. But I think it's fair to say we both really liked it. And, and if there's five albums of the year right now, it's in both of ours, right? Yeah. Yeah, for okay. sure. For sure. Um, I do wonder if that one will hold up, you know, I don't know if it'll have the same staying power. I've only listened to it like once or twice like maybe once since mm. um, since uh, last week, um, outside of the playlist especially. Have you gone back to it? Yeah, it's funny too, because you had the higher rating than I did, spoiler alert. And I did. I have been listening. And it's, it's a shuffle and through. I didn't 
One thing I can say I didn't do, and this is an embarrassing admission, I didn't play out the verses the way that Pusha saw it, which I should because anyone who's followed our verses knows you got you to gotta find the right level of heat to go when. Um, so maybe I'll do that this week. I will say the songs that I've gone back to have grown on me more. Open Air is dope. And uh, the song with Uzi Vert just continues to, continues to grow on me. I love, love, love that song. So Me too. That's the joint. And then I, I do like Smoke or Shine the Coops. Um, you know, it's funny. Like for all the years, we're talking about Bad Boy. Diddy, did you see, put out a video of him like dancing to it? And it's, it's just a vibe, man. It's, uh, yeah. it's cool to see. Yeah. All right. Uh, so you got anything else you want to talk about this week? Man, I think that I think that covers it. You put some new joints on the playlist for those that listen, man, from Jay Worthy and Larry June and London Drugs. Playlist is in a great spot. You know, props to you and a little bit of input for me, man. But very clearly, uh, as this episode has covered, man, hip hop is heating up in 2022. Both of us have a new album of the year. And just infinite respect to Talib Kweli and Yasin Bey for what they did, and as well as Madlib, of course, man. Um, so I think I think the right way to end it is all right. What's your what's your what's your song song of the week from from the joint? Yeah, for me, it's Supreme Alchemy. You know, I just that was instant, like hit me on the head. Love that song, uh, but it could have easily been um, uh, Frequency too with Black Thought. How about you? Could have been either of those. I texted you the title song earlier today, but I was really on the fence. So I'm going to go with my favorite band. Um, the Yassin solo record could have been Talib solo. Like, it's just, but to me, that 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 uh, that verse that I read in there, man, it's incredible. I hope, the one reason I hope, I know you are $40 lesser for <laughs> signing up, but if, uh, if this goes to DSPs, man, we can shower the playlist with them. So yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And we'll say, Dre, you mentioned about Compton. I agree with that. Uh, but I do think that what he did for GTA is dope. And exactly. that eventually surfaced uh, like four or five months later. So, yeah, hopefully for the fans, for other people, this will surface too. As singles too. And that's interesting. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I'll be real curious to see. And, and we'll certainly talk about in upcoming episodes. But, yo, man, in the words of Glenn Fry, the heat is on. Word, man, for real. All right. All right. Till next time. All right. Peace. peace.